right. Good morning, church. Great to have everybody here. At this time, I uh, would like to direct uh, all the kids that are going to be a part of our Kids Kingdom program to follow Mr. Bill and Miss Paula there over to uh, Kids Kingdom. And then if you have a, a child, please pick them up after we're finished here with our final song. But this will be uh, this will be a sermonion, which is a code for sermon and communion. So this will lead us to a time of communion. If you don't have communion, you can just raise your hand. Our ushers will make sure you get a, a cup, uh, the wafer, and the juice. But... Amen. We've been going through the Bible here. And that's what we do. Uh, you got that going for us? Yeah, revolutionary indeed. But we're in Acts chapter 5. If you could, uh, just in case you're wondering where you were, it's Acts chapter 5. We're going to be there. We've been going through our study of the book of Acts, and it's been illuminating. It's been exciting and, uh, and challenging. And what we're going to look at here in Acts chapter 5 is actually just a continuation of one story that began in Acts chapter 3, uh, with the healing of the man who was born lame. Uh, and it's there where Peter and John saw him at the gate called Beautiful, and in God's authority, in the name of Jesus, healed him. And then that set, on a, a set off a chain reaction of frustration from the rulers and authorities. That would be the Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin, however you pronounce that for yourself. But that's made up of, of 70 elders and the great high priest and the chief, chief guard, which we'll look at here again. And in Acts chapter 3, they warned them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Peter boldly preaches the second sermon in the church. It's kind of a recap for us. And says that we can't help to speak from what we've seen about what we've seen and heard. So they continue. And more and more people have come to faith. And it's estimated at this point in the church that if you, if you add the women and the children at this point, there's mo most likely about 10,000 believers uh, in the church here gathered in Jerusalem. So this is no small uh, group of faithful men and women, which is important to note because as we look at here in verse 17, and it's a little bit of a long a long text this morning, but I, uh, I promise you guys came for the Bible, so you're going to get some. But uh, we'll look here is that that's really the context, the backdrop for what we'll see at these religious rulers, how they respond, is to know that this isn't just Peter and John and uh, a few of the, the apostles or a couple of the ragtag disciples that are all fired up. This is a swelling group of influence. This is the church growing that the Holy Spirit has been the, uh, has been the protagonist in, in, in Jerusalem. And uh, the rulers are starting to feel the heat a little bit, which tells us a lot about what the, how they respond. But before we jump in here, let's pray for our hearts to uh, really glean all that God wants us to this morning. Let's, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, heaven, God, thanks so much for this great morning. Uh, we appreciate the sun, uh, but we appreciate you keeping it behind the clouds for at least another 30 minutes here. Uh, God, we're so grateful for the autumn and the weather that you bring us here. It's God's country. It's your country. And uh, we, we appreciate the fact that we can gather here. We know that the uh, world's a bit crazy, and it's always been. Uh, but we pray, God, for our hearts to be in tune with how your spirit's working, uh, to be in tune with your will, to be captive uh, to all that you want done here in Roanoke and beyond. God, help our hearts to, uh, to not fight against you and how you want to move through our lives, through our families, uh, how you want us to stay soft to, to the, the influence of your Holy Spirit. God, help us to glean here from our brothers and sisters from long ago and how they stood their ground and how they were so convinced of your resurrection that it changed their lives and the lives of many in the process. Help us to be your people in a great way this morning. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Let's read together. And I can't promise you I won't stop a few times uh, along the way. 
But uh, Acts chapter 17, let's, uh, or Acts chapter 5, verse 17. <laughs> Keeping you on your heels already. Okay, here we go. Verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. I'll stop there already. We didn't get too far. <laughs> so high priest and all of his associates, that's the Sanhedrin. That's 70. And the, it says here Sadducees, and that would be the, the majority of that 70. You guys have heard of Sadducees and you've heard of Pharisees, correct? Yes. Pharisees are actually the minority group. They're, Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do, although they didn't believe there would be a new heaven and a new earth. But the Pharisees, which we'll introduce, we'll introduce to a guy named Gamaliel uh, a little bit later here. But he's in the minority group. But the Sadducees are the stockbrokers, if you will, the money holders. The, they're the ones that influence the majority of this group. And the high priest would be, uh, again, Annas and his family, kind of family line there, and they're all gathered here. But jealousy, uh, you think about maybe a middle school crush that you had, and you were jealous at the locker rooms or in the locker bay or whatever. This actually means snarling with rage. So jealousy, like, oh, yes, they're jealous, but this in the original text they were actually like salivating in anger. So keep that in your mind's eye. All right? So you're not jealous like, oh, I wish. You're like, it's more, more akin to envy. Like you want to hurt them because they have something you don't have. All right? So verse 18, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. I love this. Angel of the Lord, it's actually in the original language, hops back to uh, what you see in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord approached Joshua and Gideon and all these different Old Testament characters. This is often to believe that this is a Messiah figure or this is Jesus breaking them out of jail, which pretty dope, okay? Yeah, cool. So that, that means cool. <laughs> There's probably new words for dope now that I'm 38. Anyway, <clears throat> but um, he doesn't say, get out of here, run away, don't, you know, go, go to the next town. He says, go outside just where they arrested you and keep preaching. About what? About this new life. And that's really what the Holy Spirit's been doing is, is teaching and healing and transforming to show that there's more to life than what everyone's been up to. That there's actually new life to be had. And I love that they, they don't run away in fear. They go right back out. It's like you had a chance to break out, but instead of running to the next town, you, you, you stayed right outside the jail. Yep. Say, come and get me. It's essentially on, what I believe Jesus told them. Go back out there and keep on going. I got you. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and everywhere they go, guys, they stand in a semicircle. That's custom. So imagine, here, you guys are in a semicircle. Imagine I'm Peter and John, and all the 70 of you guys are like, and that's, that's the showdown that's going on right here. The full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. 
And I don't want you to think this captain of the Temple Guard was some like mall, uh, mall you know, mall cop like Blart or whatever that guy is. Like, oh, I just got my badge from you know, this guy was was second in command. So this Temple Guard wasn't just someone that was working shift work and fell asleep. This was the guy. This was the next guy. This would be like the head of the CIA. He's like, I don't know what happened. That's what's happening here for this guy. So, again, some pretty crazy stuff. I lost my place. Okay. 25. 25. Oh, the page. The wind moved me. All right. Thank you. <laughs> then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple guards teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. We'll stop there for a second. The title of my lesson this morning is, We Have a Hero. We have a hero. So again, our world is obsessed with heroes. Back in the day, in first century, there's a guy named Hercules, and there's some fictitious characters and all that kind of stuff goes along with that. Disney really messed that one up. But anyway, uh, Hercules, that figure of, of this Herculean effort, these heroes of first century, they were actually real men, and the most part, real men of courage. Now, in our day and age, we're not upset. We're, we have heroes, but we love stars. That's, that's our culture. We're more obsessed with stars. And stars go to interest groups to get direction. Heroes go to their consciences. Come on, bro. Heroes go to principle. And I think we've lost that in our culture, where stars are kind of more concerned with what's, what's going to keep me up top? What's going to keep me in the status quo to make sure I remain in power or I remain in the, the like category or I get, an, I get nominated for the next whatever, whatever? But heroes don't care about the populace, except for the populace they're trying to save. They operate on principle, on conviction, not what will get them liked or ultimately what might get them killed. So when we talk about heroes, we got to block out kind of all the noise of Marvel and X-Men and all that kind of stuff. Because I think I heard something like DC, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not a comic book guy. So let's just make that clear real fast. But I heard DC are humans trying to be like supermen. Yeah. Okay, I told you. And then Marvel is like, they're like gods trying to be like humans. So there's a, okay, whatever. I should scratch that out of my notes. I'm trying to relate to the three of you out there. <laughs> trying to get everybody. But anyway, we, we have culture that squeezes ideas as to what it looks like to be heroic. And, and maybe we look for the civil rights movement. We have, we have heroes. And they're often, you know, often noted by a, a keen fact that they're often uh, in, in a small number or sometimes just alone in their principle, in what's right, in what's, in what's clearly wrong, in all the fighting for social justice, all the things that we've seen 
It's, it's not always the crowds that say, let's do this. It's, it often, if not always, takes one or maybe two people who says, that's enough. And it starts with a minority. And that grows and grows and grows over time. And we know that hero, that hero figure throughout all of Scripture is something we know we have. But before we can celebrate who that hero is, you need to know you need one. You need a hero. Now, talking to Westerners and Americans, you, we've also been taught that you can be the hero. You know, you can be whatever you want to be, and you can be the hero. And you know what? We've, you know, we've, we've been kind of cooked and boiled in this culture where you have to play the hero. And ladies out there, correct me if I'm wrong, but you've often been told you need a hero in the sense that you need Prince Charming to sweep you up and make your life complete. Is that correct? Holding out for a hero. That's the song. What's her last name? Bonnie. Tyler. Bonnie Tyler. We need a hero. Where about the good men going? You know, these are songs about that type of principle. He better be, be strong and ruddy and fresh from the fight. Like, where is he? And and you've been you've been taught that culture. You know what? Your life's not complete unless somebody comes in who's strong and ruddy and he, he's proven himself. And that's it. So you might be like, yeah, that's what I want. That's great. And some of you are like, oh, heck no. That's my grandma's age. That's my, that, no way, this ain't 1955 anymore. I, I'm my own hero. I don't need no man. So you have a, we have a sweeping culture of, I, I don't need a male hero. I'm a female hero. And we have wonderful Christmas cards and birthday cards. You know, I have a hero and he's my dad. I have a hero and it's my mom. I have a hero and it's my grandpa. And those are all great sentiments. But we're not the heroes. And I'm telling you something, you can't be the hero that the world needs. So we've got to understand that first and foremost. But I have to double down on that because we swim in the culture of we have what it takes. And if I don't have what it takes, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me. So I need to man up or a woman up or gear up or whatever it is to kind of go into the world and take, and, and take a stand. And be the hero, maybe for your kids, or be the hero for the people at your job, or be a hero for your culture, or for your people. That's, that's what's going on even right now as we speak. I've talked to some of my brothers and sisters of color, and they wrestle with this. Like, you know what? I've got to stand up and make sure that I'm making my people proud. And I think that's important. But that's a lot of weight to carry. And the, the solution isn't, don't worry about it and just slough it off and wait for someone else to do it. No, but in our core, we believe of uh, whether you're white or black or whatever it is, we believe in our core, we've got to be something for somebody. And people are waiting on us to do that. But you've got to recognize first and foremost, you need a hero. You need one. And the beauty is, is we have it. We have a hero. You know, Bonnie was waiting for one, and he was the wrong one. She's still waiting, I think. But we have a hero. We have a hero, and that hero we know through the redemptive context of God's word is who, who it is that makes Peter and John and these disciples extremely bold, willing to die. Because here, this second, this second wave of, of, of uh, accusations and questioning. This is the real deal. The first one by law, they needed to actually come up with a claim. 
there needed to be a warning. I've told you that before, right? There has to be a warning first before any punishment can be enacted. When they were gathered up again and jailed, Peter and John legitimately knew this could be it. They can kill us now. And the Sadducees were extremely angry. I mean, just teeth clenching, rabies infesting, foaming type look in their mouths to kill these guys. They, they had a reason in their minds to kill them, but in their law, they couldn't do it themselves. Right. Which is why the Romans had to sweep in right. and kill Jesus. But that's what they wanted. They had claims in their minds to see these two men wiped out. But as we see in this text, they were, they were fearful in verse 26. They were fearful that the people would stone them. There was so much passion, so many transformed and changed lives. I'm not talking about just people who are like, ooh, cool, someone got healed. We're, we're talking about thousands of men and women of faith who had just seen their, their two brothers come out of jail and they continue to preach and it's, it's conference time. Everyone's fired up outside. And then these 70 come in and now you know what? The roles have reversed. The accused, accusers are becoming the accused. The, the big, big powers in authority are now, oh no, we're, we're outnumbered. Our authority is dwindling. Our power is being, is, is being sucked out from us. We're losing this battle and we've got to do something. So these men, these authorities, these people, the Sadducees and, and less so the Pharisees wanted to get rid of these guys. But we see the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, we're sweeping this place over. He's the protagonist in, in acting things, flipping things, changing things. The uneducated are now the ones preaching boldly. The ones that have all the teaching, all the clout are now the ones in fear. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit that's doing all of this. So we have a hero, but you need one. And we've got to understand that big time. Peter and John, don't get this bold. Don't get as bold as verse 29 says, we must obey God rather than human beings. More, more accurately, we're going to obey God rather than you. Human beings, you know, God bless the NIV. That kind of like, that's a little soft. Like human beings, like anybody. No, we're, we're going to obey God rather than you. You 70 right here. You guys that just jailed us. We're not listening to you. We listen to God. That hits differently. But what gets them that courage to do that? It's God himself. It's their hero that they know in Jesus that says, you know what? We're willing to die. And in the book of Acts, it, it goes up and down, it goes up and down. But this is the second wave of the 10 waves of persecution that the early church experiences before the year 300. 10 waves of persecution. One that's probably most famous to us is in Acts chapter 8, where they get scattered to all over, all over the place, right? There's an early church father by the name of Tertullian who, who spoke of, that blood is the seed of the church. That when you kill us, we just sang about it, by the way. Kill us, and for sure we what? Scatter us, we scatter. That's what he's talking about. What gets that kind of boldness? We're not meant just to sing that song and say, woohoo, it's not going to happen to us ever here in Roanoke, but scatter us, we'll scatter seed. Kill us, and for No, that's actually the sentiment of a disciple who has a kingdom mindset. We don't look to be killed, but we believe if you scatter me, I'm going to keep planting. Amen. You push me over there, I'm going to keep spreading seeds. You want to tell me to go over there and shut up? 
Nope. Can't help it. That's actually who we're meant to be. But not on your own. Not on your own superpowers. Not on your own ego. It's because we know who our real hero is. And it always comes back to that. It should be a breath of fresh air for all of you who wrestle with insecurity. And that's all of us, by the way. You just show it differently, all you bold folks out there. It's called bravado. Still, you're still scared. It's not the absence of fear, we know that, when it comes to courage. Nonetheless, it's gotta be God, or it won't last. You know, Gamaliel, who we're introduced to here in verse 33, we're gonna pick this up. You guys with me? When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death, more snarling and foaming. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Judas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census to lead a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if, they, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Can't stop, won't stop. Gamaliel, or Gamaliel jumps in. By the way, Gamaliel is the same. Uh, he's kind of a big, he's a big shot. He's, he's a star if you're going to be a star in this group. But he's the one who actually trained Paul or Saul. So this is, this is big time. But I love this because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these, this whole group, they just don't know what to do. The Holy Spirit stumped them again. Remember Jesus a little bit later towards the end of his life where he's actually being questioned too. And Jesus turns it back on them and says, I got a question for you. John the Baptist, from heaven or from man? You know this story? Yeah, yeah. And then they do the same thing here, like, all right, guys, let's get together. You know, like, it's kind of like family feud. Like, all right, we, we got a chance to steal this one. And they all kind of gather up. And they're like, all right, well, if we say it's from man, then all these people that are fired up are going to kill us. But if we say it's from God, they're going to say, well, why didn't you get baptized? Why didn't you do it? So this brilliant answer comes from all these men. They come back and they say, we don't know. That was it. That was their answer. Stumped. Same thing here. Okay, guys, let's, what are we going to do? If we do this, we do, that's not going to go well for us. Okay, so just stop doing that. And then they flog them, which this isn't the, the scourging, the Roman scourging, which basically leads you in hyperbot, what's hyper, the blood thing, shock? You're in ear shock. You're almost dead. But this is the 39 lashes or 40 lashes minus one. 
where in the Jewish law, in the moment it starts to show blood, you have to stop. So again, this isn't like Roman torture here. This is like, don't talk about him again. I tell you, don't do it. Oh, there's blood. Okay, we got to stop. Or, hey, this guy's pretty, pretty husky. Man, we got through all 39 without shedding blood for this guy. You know, whatever. That'd be like, I don't know, Doug, yeah? I'd be like, oh, look, I'm bleeding. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> That's all going on. And these men come out excited to suffer for Jesus. And they can't stop and they won't stop preaching and teaching about the good news about Jesus. Come on, brother. This, this courage, this boldness, you know, it's not, just, it's, it's not just, oh, let me be bold. Let me work myself up to be bold. Where did it come from? It came from knowing who their hero is, knowing what is needed. You know, my, my first point that we talked about already is that we need a hero. If you remember a, a very similar story in 1 Samuel 17 with a little shepherd boy and Goliath. That story is an image. It's a, it's a highlight of our Messiah and our need for a Messiah. Do you know what the Israelites were what they were up to when Goliath would march out from the lines of the Philistines. They ran in fear. They all went back over and over and over again. This word for Goliath that you see in 1 Samuel 17 is the word champion. They send their champion to fight for them. You know, we talk about being a hero. And here in this text, in verse 31, where it says, God exalted, talking about Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and Savior, that word for prince is the same word that we see in Hebrews chapter 12. If you guys would keep your thumbs in Acts 5 and flip over to Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 1 of Hebrews 12, it says there, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. That word for pioneer is the same word here for prince. And some of you might have the translation where it says champion. It's the Greek word archagos, which is the same word the Greek culture used to describe Hercules, a Herculean effort, as we say. So what, what, what Peter is saying here is we have our champion. God exalted, verse 31, back in Acts. God exalted him to his own right hand as champion. He's our champion and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Peter knows that everybody knows this idea of send out the one that will do the fighting for you. He will represent you. That's what Goliath was to the Philistines. Send out your best warrior. Send out your best warrior. And whoever wins, we'll, go to, we'll be enslaved. If we win, we enslave you. If, if, if you lose, then we'll, or vice versa, we'll enslave them. That's, that's what was happening in 1 Samuel 17. And David comes out there, and he has one shot. And he doesn't miss. And David slews Goliath, and he cuts off his head, and he holds his head up in the air as a champion. And what do all the Israelites do? What does it say of them? They're emboldened and they all rush forward and slaughter the Philistines. 
Why? Because all of a sudden they got, ooh, yes, but no, they, they, there's our champion. That, that hero emboldened them to go and fight. Preach it, brother. And it's not David. That story wasn't for us to say, be like David. Right. That story was, look at Jesus. That's who Jesus is for all of us. So here, Peter elevates. We have our champion. We have our hero. It's Jesus. And then later, the author of Hebrews, which we said again, fix your eyes on Jesus. The champion. The champion of the faith. Your hero. Run after him. He's one. So go run with him. Just like the Israelites said, David won. Let's go. That's the imagery that we're meant to live our lives. How many of us struggle with courage? How many, how many of us care what people think? How many of us go to school or go to jobs and our reputation's on the line every day? Come on, bro. We walk through our jobs looking for affirmation. Am I still valuable here? Am I still needed? Am I still wanted? We go home to our own families. And where do I fit in here? Am I liked? Am I loved? Am I appreciated? Am I respected? You know, all those things are good things. It's good to be wanted. It's good to be respected and loved. But it's not meant to be the thing that gets you going. Come on. It's not meant to be your rock. It's not meant to be the hero. It's not to be what you're fixed on to move through this life. You know, as disciples, we are meant to be bold. We are not meant to be pushovers, weaklings. We are meant to be strong, power under control. We look at, say, we hear meekness, and we think that means be a doormat. Meekness means strength under control. Those are the most intimidating people. When you know someone could totally wipe you out, but they decide not to. You're like, oh man, I know that. And I'm not saying we're supposed to be looking to wipe people out, but there's a sense of a, a confidence, a confidence that God's got this. A confidence that God is our champion, that he has already won, that I'm on his side, I'm on his team. And no matter what you say, no matter what's going on in my life, no matter what you threaten, I can't stop talking about this new life he's given me. I can't stop hoping and praying and talking to others to have this type of good news in their life today. So please don't leave today after taking communion and say, okay, time for me to be bold. Time for us to go get it. And it be on your strength. If you're not fixing your eyes on your champion, you don't have a chance. I mean, how many of us have been around long enough as disciples where you kind of worked yourself up to be bold, to have a conversation with somebody or to talk to a family member about a challenge or maybe even sin or just share your faith vulnerably or just be vulnerable, period. How many of us have had to kind of pep ourselves up in the mirror? You know, looking at sticky notes. You are lovable. You are strong. You are handsome. On, bro. And by golly, people like me. And you, and you rush out. You say, you know what? I've got a degree. Gosh darn it. I've got hours and hours of experience. My boss doubled down on me. I'm here. I'm in charge. Don't you ever think. And you walk out with this you know, kind of soft accolade to push you through. Or even the hope that something's gonna churn, something's gonna change, today's the day where it all fits. But that's not how we're meant to live. We're meant to live fixed on our champion. Come on. 
fixed on our hero, fixed on who he is and what he's done. That's what Peter and John said. We're willing to die. Go ahead. We're not going to obey you because we have our champion already. We already have him. So bring it on. I love that. We have our Archegos. We have our champion. A little bit of a warning here for us guys. There's a group of people that claimed and I think sincerely loved God and wanted him to move powerfully in the world. This group of 70, albeit corrupted, they had a start where they wanted God's justice to be enacted in the world. They stood firm. Pharisees were righteous, holy men who stood in the gap when the Romans came and did not budge. Even within this group, the Sadducees have given over to many, many degrees of, of Roman influence where they're barely recognizable as far as, as far as Jewish and Torah goes. But the Pharisees have stood their ground. They would put a lot of us to shame in regards to their fervent devotion, their knowledge of scripture, their devotion to all things holy. We'd be intimidated by them, just their walks with God. But that group, that group that I just described was more concerned about something. And I believe it can be more of our concern too. What were they concerned about? They wanted things to stay the same. Their authority, their comfort, their understanding of the world was being threatened. And they found themselves, as Gamaliel says, almost prophesies, you're going to find yourself fighting against God. So what does that mean for us? Bring in here, 21st century. The Holy Spirit still is the protagonist in this world. He's moving to change. The weak become the strong. Those who are low will be raised high. Those who are not will be. Everything will be reversed. We are living in this middle earth, right? To Lord of the Rings for the four of you out there. <laughs> just, we just gained one. It's the middle earth. Like, okay, we have the kingdom of God. It's come in Jesus but it's also not quite here yet. So we're in this middle earth. And in that moment, we're, okay, here we are. How do we make sense of all this? And as we wait, it's easy for us to be influenced by the very world the Holy Spirit's trying to flip. It's very easy for us as disciples, especially as Westerners, to become comfortable. To create our own idea as to what it actually means to be devoted followers of Jesus. That devoted followers of Jesus means I'm a nice guy, I've got a good job, I come to church, I come to midweek, I don't do XYZ, and that's what it means to be devoted. But the Holy Spirit wants to flip that up and say, no, 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 it's not about being cushy, it's not about being comfortable, it's about being attuned to my will and participating in the regeneration of this world. And that means caring for the sick. That means going low. That means emptying yourself out. That means sharing your faith. That means bo being bold. That means dealing with sin. That means repenting. That means growing and changing. If you're stagnant. Come on, brother. If you're not learning about our champion, you're comfortable. If you're not listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, oh, I got to be open about this, you're comfortable. If we're just coasting, homeostasis, we all love it. And I find it more often than I'd like to admit. But the Holy Spirit says, hey, let's, let's go. Let's connect. 
Let's, let's love deeper. Let's change. Let's speak up. And I fight against God all the time. Don't you? So yeah, while this is macro, big movement, Pharisees, Sadducees versus the disciples, you're fighting against God. And as much as I want to say, yeah, you're fighting against us. You're, you're going to lose. I've often been that Israelite, even though I've seen David, my champion, win, I'm still back on the line saying, go get them, guys. Okay, all right, I'll go. I'm kind of in the back waiting to see how this is going to pan out. You can't tell I'm not with you, but I'm not really with you. And I think there's been more often times like that in my heart where God says, Look, new life, let's go. You have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, let's go. There's much to do. There's many to love. There's things that the Holy Spirit is exposing. Let's get after it. I say, Yeah, you're right. Go get them. Go get them, Bruce. I'm with you. Kind of. Is that you? And before you start to say, yeah, that's me. Oh, okay, I got to do more. I'll, I'll show up more. I'll, I'll get more fired up. I'll get more excited. I'll pray more. I'll read more. I'll, I'll beg God before you start getting into your hero cape. Stop. If you're not learning, if you're not inspired, if you're giving into fear, if there's conversations you need to have, but you haven't had them, don't look to yourself. Don't say, oh man, you're right. I'm not a great disciple. Bag that, that's not from God. What was Jesus saying? What would Peter and John say to you? Stop looking at that 70 group over there. They've got nothing. Fix your eyes on our champion. So this week, if any of that hits you, like, oh man, I wanna grow, I wanna change, I wanna be honest, I wanna be real, I wanna be open, I wanna be bold, I wanna be different. For those of you that may not be disciples, I want to be a disciple, not just a churchgoer. I actually want to follow Jesus. Look at your champion. Look at him. And the crazy part about our champion, he doesn't look like the champions we're used to. He doesn't look like the champion who runs out and kills a nine-foot guy and cuts his head off. He doesn't look like the Marvel characters. He doesn't look like DC. He doesn't look like your favorite athlete or actress or social social influencer. They, they don't, they don't, it doesn't look like that. You know what he looks like? He looks shredded, bloodied, beaten, bruised, weak, killable. That's who our champion is. Because he knew the only way we can win this fight is if he dies for us. A champion who had it all, had every joy, had every praise, every hope, everything in heaven, says, I'm going to put it all away, I'm going to give it all up, and I'm going to go down and die. And Hebrews later goes on to say, that same champion is not ashamed to call you his brother and sister. That same champion who with the joy, Hebrews 12, with the joy set before him endured the shame on the cross and overcame. What joy? He had every joy in heaven. What joy are you talking about? You know. Yeah. Not what joy, but who's the joy? And who is it? It's us. You're the joy. 
the brothers and sisters he's not ashamed to call. My brother, my sister. That's our champion. You got a favorite champion? Good luck spending time with him. Go find your favorite actress. It's me, I'm your biggest fan. Security. I mean, Nicole, I mean, she's like a rock star. She lets me talk to her from time to time. It's pretty cool. You go up to Joe Biden or Obama. Hey, thank you so much. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Get him out of here. Get her out of here. But Jesus says, hey, bro. Hey, sis, come on. That's who our champion is. That's right. And he died for us. So let's not look to what do we need to do more. Let's not look to our shortcomings. Own those. But as Peter and John said, you know what? We can be bold. We can be courageous because we need a champion. We needed a hero and he came and he won and we have him. We have a hero and that hero is Jesus. And he died for us. So let's fix our eyes on him. The Archegos, our champion, our hero. And let us not succumb to what the world has to offer. But let it rouse us to greater faithfulness, greater repentance, greater change. And for some of you, as it says in this text, it's meant to bring repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's out there for you if you fix your eyes on our champion. So as we take communion, bread and the juice, let's reflect on our great champion. Let's pray together. Lord, heaven, God, thanks so much for this time. Just be reminded that you're our hero. Yes, we have so many heroes in this world, our parents, our uh, are, are those who have made significant changes in our world, even we have heroes of your word. We have our Davids and our Ruths and our Esthers. We have those heroes, that great cloud of witnesses. But we know all of our heroes, whether in, in scripture or in our own families or our in, own culture or country, they're all mentions to point to you, our true champion. God, thank you for championing this new life. Thank you, God, for giving us the opportunity to repent and receive forgiveness of sins, that we don't have to quake in fear, that we don't need to go through this life insecure, that we don't have to be overwhelmed by public opinion, that we don't have to tiptoe around to make sure that we feel loved today or respected today. And yes, we need to do that more and more as your church and as your people, so that there is no need, there is no doubt, but you do that for us. God, we pray as a church and as, as your brothers and as your sons and daughters and as brothers and sisters of Jesus, God, that we just fix our eyes on your son, that we fall deeper in love with him, that he inspires us to change, that he inspires us to speak up, he inspires us to bring about the justice that you desire, and you inspire growth here in Roanoke, just like we see in this text, people flocking to the real champion. God, we love you. Please be with our time of reflection. We ask all this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's take a few minutes to reflect and allow the final song. <laughs>